Sir Belper the two on a brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a, uh, has been a writer for Fangraphs, is the proprietor of uh, the very excellent npbtracker.com. npbtracker.com. His name is Patrick Newman. It is no secret uh, that a number of Japanese players have come to the United States, uh, both in recent years and going back 20 years, uh, and had success in the United States. What I've only recently admitted to myself, listener, and what uh, you might be prepared to admit to yourself as well, is that I don't know that much about Japanese baseball. I know, for example, and, and you'll hear this in the, what follows, I know that Orestes Destrada, who is one of the earliest players uh, on the early Marlins uh, rosters, who was one of, the early, uh, one of their players, I know that he was very good there. I know that Tuffy Rhodes at some point hit a lot of home runs in Japan. And, of course, more recently, uh, players like Daisuke Matsuzaka, uh, Yu Darvish, have uh, excelled in, in the Japanese league, in NPB it's frequently called, and uh, have come over here and, well, in, you know, they've had various levels of success, of course. Uh, the, the, what I wanted to talk to, besides being able to catch up uh, with Patrick Newman, who for various reasons uh, has not been able to write as much as, uh, as he had in the past, was to, to talk to him to see how he's doing. He's a very sweet person, as, uh, as you'll find. But more than that was to say, uh, I admit it, Patrick Newman. I admit that I don't know that much about Japanese baseball, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So we start with uh, we start first of all with with his sort of entry point, uh, which turns out to be very interesting. He got excited about Japanese baseball during the baseball strike uh, between ba- uh, 1994 and 1995 in the United States. That sort of pushed him that way, uh, but he'd always had sort of an interest in Japanese culture uh, by way of video games, we find. Anyway, that's all very compelling. Uh, Patrick Newman is, uh, has lived in Japan. He's fluent Japanese. Uh, he has a Japanese wife. He, he's, he definitely has w- certainly you know one foot in this country, maybe one and a half feet. I don't know precisely how that would work in this country, uh, but there's certainly part of Patrick Newman that uh, remains in Japan, and he's fluent not just in Japanese, but as we find out, he's he's sort of fluent in, uh, you could say, in Japanese baseball. Um, it's uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with Patrick. As I say, he's very sweet. He answered all my questions very patiently. And I hope that um, if some of my questions uh, have been elementary, excessively elementary, um, it, it it's in the service of being very honest about the fact that I don't know as much as I should about Japanese baseball. Maybe you, the listener, Maybe you did not want to admit that to, to other people or even to yourself, and you also learn about it too. Um, so that, this is what follows. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features uh, features Patrick Newman, and it begins right now. Uh, one of the main reasons why I schedule this is so that uh, I could just say hi to you because we haven't talked for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's too bad I couldn't make it to uh, Arizona the last time. But, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I haven't been really writing for Fangraphs, but uh, hanging out with you guys is always a highlight. So, uh, yeah, it'd be good to see you again if you're ever out in the Bay Area. Uh, yeah, I don't, um, I have no imminent plans, but it's also, it's a desirable place to go. So um, I assume I'll find myself there sometime before I reel off this mortal shuffle off this mortal coil before I die. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And at some point, I'll make it back to Chicago. So um, you never know. Our paths may cross there as well. You're, you're a Chicago native then? Is that right? Yeah. I, I, until I was uh, through with college, I grew up there. Wait, okay. So this is going to be uh, – we're going to discuss the um, uh, what, Nippon, Nippon Professional Baseball. Is that right? That's Yep. Yeah, uh, Nippon just, Professional Baseball. Yeah, sorry. How do you say the first word? Uh, Nippon. Nippon. Okay. Yeah. Nippon. Um, I've, uh, part of what you're going to help me with is um, helping my uh, Anglo mouth uh, um, find its way around Japanese words. That's part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but uh, just as a little background, I'm, I'm curious. You say you spent most of the time um, in Chicago, and um, I don't think you, I don't think you're Japanese, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your family is, but how did you find your way to, I guess, first of all, to Japanese? language fluency and then also a certain uh, fluency in in uh, Japanese baseball well so with baseball it goes back um, to the strike of 1994 uh, the major league players strike so um, that that year my white Sox were going to win the World Series and I don't care what anybody says um, but the white Sox were headed for a World Series title and then the, the strike um, you know ended the season and canceled the world Series um, so in its in its place the local sports station, I think it was called Sports Channel at the time, um, broadcast the Japanese World Series, the Japan Series between uh, the Bayer Giants and the Sable Lions. And they had Ken Harrelson and Tom Pachork and, and a third guy, uh, an expert in Japanese baseball, uh, do the play-by-play and the commentary and all that. And I was I was kind of hooked on it from back then. Are there um, any, uh, uh, well, first of all, Hawk Harrelson doing that is funny to me. Uh, Hawk Harrelson yeah. calling a game in which he has no rooting interest would probably be alien to many people. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, so, so I mean, going back to 1994, me, Hawk was like, uh, I, I grew up with Hawk and Harry Carey, so the, the, the bias is that, you know, that, that we've come to reflect on as adults were just, you know, you know, I, I had no context. That was just the normal way to call a game for me. So uh, people find Hawk offensive or something, but I like him, so... Anyhow, yeah, he was, uh, he, he was, they were pretty good, as I recall. The, the main guy that was interesting was the, 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 uh, the expert in Japanese baseball. I don't remember his name. Uh, I think it might have been Wayne Grazik, but, um, uh, I learned a lot just by listening to him about the different players and teams and stuff. So. That's actually just that's really. Kind of the start of- yeah, that's a strange, uh, and also I think a kind of creative, uh, broadcasting solution if you don't have baseball, but you have, uh, if there's no professional baseball being played in your country, um, and this is all speculative, you do anything about it, but if there's no no baseball being played in your country, to decide to to broadcast the Japanese league. Yeah, it was it was the only alternative at the time. So it filled yeah. and then um, so kind of to continue onward with my story, I I had kind of been interested in that anyway for a long time before that. Um, it was mostly just because I was I was a big video game nerd when I was a kid. And, and uh, back in the 80s, most video games came from Japan, so it was kind of, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a uh, follow-on from my, my desire to kind of know what the latest and greatest of the video game world was. So by the by, you know, I picked up Japanese baseball through the strike. Uh, later on when I was in college, uh, I had the chance to uh, take part in a foreign study program in Japan, and so to do that, I needed to study Japanese for a year, and I got through that, and I got into the program, so I went and studied uh, for a semester in Japan in, in the Osaka region um, about 13 years ago now. And um, 
did that one well as well. So I gra- went back to, uh, to Chicago, graduated from college, and then um, and then immediately after graduating, I headed back to Japan and lived there for a couple of years. Um, so and then that uh, and, and you know that was a good experience as well. And I, I moved to California after that, and I've been here for for you know almost ten years. But uh, I do kind of keep in touch with my friends in Japan, and I wound up marrying a Japanese girl, and we go back to Japan. Um, you know, usually once a year. So, and, and you know, the internet makes makes it so much more possible to kind of stay in touch with uh, with international things like this. So, uh, so uh, you know, that that's been that's been an obvious way to kind of watch games and kind of follow what's going on. So, um, you know, it's it's just that that uh, combination of things coming together for me. You know, over over the course of you know twenty years now. Now, when you were watching back in, I guess, 94, 95, who would have been uh, – are there players who were playing like in that, in that World Series that we would recognize now? Um, well, so Dan Gladden was the left fielder for Yomiuri. Really? Um, <laughs> That's funny. <yeah. laughs> Cebu, had, Cebu had Mike Pagliarulo, however you fit uh, Mike Pagliarulo, sure. I guess. Um, so Pags, they had him on the bench. Um, Yomiuri had Shane Mack, but I, I can't remember if he was on the 94 team, uh, or on 90, or if he came in 95. Um, and then, uh, in 94, Yomiuri had a rookie named Hideki Matsui. Oh, that's very exciting. Now, was, was Matsui, uh, I mean, was he instantly good? Yeah, he was, um, he was a legend in high school, you know, aluminum bats, you know, automatic intentional walks. And I think, I could have the details a little bit off, but he came up in the mid-season, either his first or second year out of high school, and you know, basically the um, the starting right field job, and uh, didn't didn't uh, relinquish it until he left as a free agent nine years later. Now you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned like right out of high school. I know that, for example, I think there's a uh, there's a player sort of a big deal who's come out of uh, who's only 18 playing in in the MPB right now. Um, we, I'm sure we'll get to him, um, but it does seem as though, um, is it, it totally anecdotally, there are players who make that jump, um, or are even famous as high school players in Japan. Because I think I remember Daisuke's exploits um, uh, from from when he was quite young as well. Is that is that a more common thing? And and if and if a player doesn't go directly from high school to the professionals, what does he do in between? Yeah, I mean it's totally unheard of for an American kid to go. From high school to the major leagues, but for a lot of reasons. Um, but uh, it, it does happen. It does happen in Japan. It doesn't happen every year. Um, this this year, there's actually two or three big star high school graduate kids that are making an impact for their teams um, this season. I don't recall one last year. Uh, normally, normally, what will happen that the best high school kids will start the uh, the year on the farm team, get some seasoning there and then um, maybe come up towards the, the end of the first season. Uh, it is somewhat unusual for uh, an 18-year-old high school graduate to come uh, right up to the top level and make a big impact. Daisuke Matsuzaka was kind of an exception. Uh, Yu Darvish, for example, had a great uh, you know, uh, first uh, rookie season right after being drafted, and he, I think he threw about 80 or 90 innings in one of five games, and that was considered a really big success for his first year. So uh, Daisuke was a lot better. Daisuke threw 200 innings or something in one, 16 games, and 
Um, you know, he was he was an immediate star, but to to have a guy become a regular basically that quickly um, and make that big an impact is unusual. When you say farm team, how many levels are we talking about? Really, just one. Um, the, the Japanese uh, league is structured into basically two teams. The, the top team is called Ichigun. Um, that means it means first uh, first troop, like military troop. Oh, okay. Ichi, uh, Ichigun. Yeah, Ichi is one, and Gun is troop. Is that like the same uh, stem or root word that's in Ichiro? Ah, uh, yes, it is. Oh, okay. So, what does Ichiro's name literally mean? It kind of means first son. Oh, okay. Um, Ichi means one. Uh, it, it's an unusual name for Ichiro because I believe he has an older brother, which you normally wouldn't get. Yeah, it um, seems like a slight of the older brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he minds at this point. Oh, okay. all, right. all right, all right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's uh, it's one. Uh, anyway, so Ichigun is the top level. It's kind of equivalent to our major leagues. And then there's Nigun, which is second second troop, second unit. Uh, and that's the farm team. Sometimes it's just the farm team. And that's really the only level of minor league that they have. Some teams have experimented with a Sangun, which is the third level. Um, so, you know, they, but, but the problem is that that's not adopted universally. So if you have a, a third team, it's really just kind of a glorified practice squad, and there's not other teams really for to compete against. So what they would do is compete with um, amateur teams and play against amateur you know, teams and to, to get more game experience and stuff like that. Um, whenever whenever teams have really tried to establish a second team, it, it hasn't really stuck for very long. Um, they've basically scrapped it after a year. So uh, and then there's also an organization that had 70 players under contract. So the it's kind of like it's kind of like um, the major league teams have a 40-man roster. In Japan, you have a 70-man roster, but that's that's your entire organization. Oh, okay. And and now, what is a uh, like if uh, is the way is the relationship between their um, sorry you said nigun is that the that's the like the AAA essentially? Or the, that's well, yeah. It's, well, I, I, it, AAA is a bad example because um, there's only one level, so it's. You know, if you want to look at the actual quality of play, it's probably more like single A. But um, you know, it's it's the direct it's directly beneath the top team, but it's the only level. So okay. Uh, so so and the, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, there's not like affiliates. Like in in America, we basically have a bunch of independently owned minor league teams, and they'll have an affiliation with a major league team. In Japan, the the farm team is is just uh, it's like a second roster for the for the main parent team. Uh, so they largely have the same uniforms and same names and stuff, and they frequently play in in um, geographies near where the uh, the main team is. So there's there's not that kind of separate minor league culture that we have here. Do do people go to those games? I mean, are they decently attended? No, um, you know the fans would be in the hundreds rather than the thousands, low hundreds, I'd say. Okay, and. Um now going back just to ninety four and ninety five, it seems to I, I seem to recall that uh, whether it's the case now or not, there certainly have been Americans who were probably on the fringes of, uh, or not necessarily Americans, but but players who had spent time in the major leagues but were sort of on the fringes of relevance uh, that have mm-hmm. gone uh, that have gone on to have successful major league careers. I, I remember, for example, 
like I mean, it was kind of a big deal when one of one of the first players the Marlins picked up was a Restes Destrada. Yep. Um, and and I think he had been a great home run hitter in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's right. So there was Destrada. I think I think maybe Tuffy Rhodes had a great deal of success there. Matt Merton at mm-hmm. different times. Can, are there any sort of like uh, uh, players who've spent time playing in the United States who are but have sort of had uh, besides the ones I've mentioned, or if you want to embellish on those who've really had like emblematic uh, Japanese league careers? Well, the the obvious one is Randy Bass. Um, Bass was a big first baseman in the late 70s with the Expos and Rangers and Padres and maybe a couple of others. And he was kind of that, that textbook 4A, quad A kind of guy who, um, you know, had nothing left to prove in multiple, um, stints at AAA with different organizations. He was always good, but for some reason just couldn't stick at the major league level. So he signed with Hanshin and, and in 85 and 86, he won triple crowns both years. Um, he was he was on the verge of breaking Sadaharo's single season home run record in '85, but um, the opposing pitchers kept walking him towards the end of the year, so he didn't get a chance. The second year, I believe he set the the highest ever batting average record um, in '86. I think it was 389. Um, so he did he didn't set that record. So he's kind of um, you know, there's a, there's a saying in Osaka, Hanshin, which is Osaka's local team. So there's a saying, um, what is it? Kamisama, Hokisama, Basusama. It means like God, Buddha, Bass. Really? So, so, so um, Randy Bass, uh, um, I was just checking out here, uh, no more than 400 plate appearances as a major leaguer, uh, but a pretty considerable um, influence on Japanese baseball. Yeah, and he, he had kind of an acrimonious departure from Hanshin. I think his son was sick or, or in a hospital or something and he wanted time off to, um, to return to Oklahoma to be with his son and they, they said no way and he said, well, I'm going anywhere. And anyway, and that, and that kind of led to his retirement. Um, and now he's a, a state senator in, in Oklahoma. But I mean, they've kind of mended fences and he goes back and takes part in promotional events and, you see him in advertising and stuff in Japan, so he's kind of like a legendary, um, a legendary figure. Uh, his departure gave way to uh, Cecil Fielder, so Cecil Fielder came into Hanshin and had a big year, and then came back to America, and then had a had a great career after that with Detroit. Um, around the same time that Bass was, um, you know, an elite player in Japan, Yomiuri had Warren Cromarty, who. Um, to, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you call him a fringe major leaguer. I think he was a pretty solid major leaguer, um, with Montreal. Um, and, and he had other major league offers, but his best financial offer came from Japan. So he, he played his last, uh, he played, I think he played one year after he came back from, uh, Japan with the Royals, but he played the last, um, significant part of his career, uh, in Japan with Yomiuri. Um, and Yomiuri was, of course, the powerhouse, you know, Yankees type team and, they won a couple of championships, and I think he won an MVP one year as well. So he was another another um, significant guy back in the eighties. Uh, and, 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 oh, you know, sorry. Go ahead. Like, no, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned that the the sort of uh, uh, slightly acrimonious terms under which Bass left uh, to go take care of his son. Um, I, I seem to remember that uh, after the the horrid situation um, with the tsunami. And of course, the the fallout uh, from that with the nuclear reactor, 
um, that there was maybe an American player who wanted to go back to the United States to be with his family, and that also worked out poorly. Am I, is this, uh, am I saying this correctly? Well, there were a couple of instances like that um, after after the, the tsunami and nuclear scare. Um, none, of the, none of the players that were involved with that were as, um, you know, noble or, you know, as big stars as Bass was. Um, the other thing is that back when Bass was playing, uh, MVP teams could only two foreign players on the roster um, at any given time. So, you know, you needed those, those spots to be productive. Now you can have as many foreigners as you want. Uh, you can only have five on the on the active roster, or four, sorry, uh, on the active roster at any given time. But, you know, if a guy needs to take two weeks off, then you can you can just swap him in with somebody else. That's not that big a deal. Um so, and I, I think that I think that the Japanese teams have just loosened up. But yeah, I mean, there was Brian Bannister. I think Brian Bannister. Um, I actually don't think um, I don't think it was the tsunami that that led to his departure from Japan. I think just he wasn't going to play, and um, you know that combined with the tsunami and the fact that he was so low on Yonyuri's chart. Um, you know, I think uh, I think led him to uh, to reconsider his plans to be in Japan, and he uh, he refused to report after that. There was another guy named Brett Leach, who was a left-hander with Yokohama, who I think he just got cold feet. He was, you know, Brett Leach has not had nearly the career that Bannister had, so he eventually uh, sucked it up and decided he needed the money and went and played for them for a couple months, but he was terrible, so it didn't matter. Um, there were probably a few other guys, but certainly, you know, no, no one liked Bass. Now, there's, uh, you mentioned Cecil Fielder. Of course, after his um, time in Japan, he came over and had um, some some quite successful seasons uh, in the United States, uh, certainly hitting home runs. Uh, of course, Colby Lewis. Um, yeah. Colby Lewis had uh, certainly potential at points as an American minor leaguer or major league, or as a minor leaguer in the States, but um, only really ever put it together once going to Japan. Are there other notable instances like that of players who have, in a sense, uh, rekindled uh, rekindled their careers um, in the major leagues by virtue of successful NPB runs? Well, I don't know if Alfonso Soriano counts, um, but he, he signed with Hiroshima as a Dominican teenager, um, because they, they offered him more to play in their minor leagues and he didn't get in, in, in majors. But he certainly started off over there and then, uh, and then, and then left and signed with the Yankees and, and he's had a great career as well. Um, guys that have rejuvenated their careers, I have to think for a second. Um, you know, we might see Randy Messenger back in the States next year and he's had a good four year run with, um, with Hanshin. I'm trying to think. No, it's, I Kobe mean, it... Lewis is He's kind of the best example. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to edit this part out, I guess. No, uh, no, no, it's okay. This is uh, uh, this is hardly the most awkward moment uh, of the podcast, even in recent memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Col- Colby Lewis is one. Um, you know, there's been a whole bunch of guys that that have gone over and maybe played a year or two and then come back and and um, gone on to become regular major leaguers, and you wouldn't even know it. Like um, that left-hander with the Mets, Feliciano, he played for a year with um, with the Dai Hawks back in the day, and Raphael Betancourt had a year in Japan. Um, Elmer Defense had a year in Japan. Um, there's there's several. Uh, El Franco, I mean, he was 
he was already good. You know, he was he was um, he was an established all star in the majors, but he played a year in Japan and came on back and played forever after that. So, yeah, he did. He played till he was yeah till he was quite old. Al- yeah. uh, Alfredo Figaro actually, he was I believe starting for the Brewers. Uh, as we speak, we're talking on Wednesday. Uh, Alfredo Figaro played at least one season in Japan, I believe. Yeah, he played too. Is he is he starting for the Brewers now? I thought he was. I thought he'd be a real good reliever. Uh, he um, he was pitching out of the bullpen, but uh, maybe some combination is injury. Maybe maybe Mike Fires uh, pitching poorly. Some something has uh, forced him into the rotation. Yeah, Figaro. Yeah, he so so he showed real good stuff in Japan, and he couldn't really stick in the rotation the whole year, but he was. He was real good in that kind of swingman role, and, and Oryx wanted him back, but um, but he really didn't want to stay there. So, uh, yeah, that's another good example. So, you know, there's always guys that are kind of coming and going. Um, at this point, at this point, I think um, MTV is just kind of the major league fringe, and um, you know, guys can maybe get their best offer from there, uh, from Japan. Um, you know, if if they're not really guaranteed a major league job, but. Um, if things go well for them in Japan or maybe even don't go so well for them in Japan, um, they can come back and compete for jobs um, in the United States. And that's just kind of part of the problem at this point. Um, and it was never like that before. I mean, this is this is something new that's developed in the last, I don't know, eight, eight, five, eight years, something like that. The um, uh, one thing you mentioned was with regard to Hideki Matsui, I think when he was sort of towards the high school and also with uh, Randy Bass, towards the end of his um, um, his near record-breaking season, um, um, was that there was a lot of uh, intentional walk uh, intentional walks being given. Is, is mm-hmm. intentional walk uh, is it or has it been more prevalent in uh, in Japanese baseball than in the United States? Well, I mean, you know, just being in San Francisco, we saw the same thing with Barry Bonds, and he was obviously all juiced up and everything, but you know. Um, you know, still the pitchers and the pitching coaches thought the safest path with him was letting him take first base. And I think that, I think, I think that it's similar in Japan, um, but with the added, the added sort of, um, personal pride or saving face kind of culture as well. Um, you know, when, um, when Bass was chasing, uh, O's home run record, um, uh, Sadaharu O was the manager of an opposing team. Um, and he was, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously a legend and you have these pitchers that are, that are pitching for him. You know, do you think any one of them really wants to be the guy that gives up uh, <laughs> no, the home run that either ties or breaks it? And there were, there were two other guys that, um, approached O's record. Actually, two of them tied it. Um, Tuffy Rhodes tied it and I think, I want to say 2001. And then, uh, Alex Cabrera tied it in, um, in 2002 or 2003. And in that case, uh, O was, was managing the, the Diet Hawks at the time, which was an opposing team of, of Rhodes and Cabrera's teams. So at that point, they, um, you know, they, they managed to tie the record and, and, uh, Bass, Bass fell one short of tying the record, but, um, you know, they were still getting walked a lot. Alex Cabrera was particularly, um, frustrated by it. He would turn his bat upside down and sometimes he would turn around and bat left-handed. And they would still walk in, and so, so um, he showed some frustration to it. But not not all the teams were were that uh, lenient with him. Some teams I remember going after him and attacking him and letting him try to hit their best stuff. And his manager, I mean, in Cabrera's case, um, his manager batted him leadoff down the stretch to give him more at bats. So, um, 
So, you know, there's, there's both sides of it. But, uh, yeah, I would say it's overall similar to America with just the added sort of culture of uh, not wanting to be embarrassed. Right, yeah. Um, whereas some of us embrace it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, uh, listen, I don't want to keep you forever because I know that you are you're a real person and uh, you have uh, actual responsibilities. Um, but uh, I do want to uh, maybe get into some of what's happening uh, more currently. Uh, so I guess I'll start with this: is the question is, what is the season? Uh, when do, what is the the sort of season? When does it start and when does it end uh, for the for the Japanese leagues? So the season starts. Uh, well, first of all, spring training starts on February first. And that's not pitchers and catchers, that's everyone. Uh, and then spring training goes all the way up until like the third week of March. And then the season proper opens usually, usually around March 28th or March 25th, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so right around the last week of March. Um, officially it ends the last week of September. The, the last scheduled games are the last week of this, uh, uh, the last, within the last week or two of September. Um, but it rains a lot in Japan, so there's a lot of games that get postponed because of, of rain, uh, and a lot of those are made up towards the end of the season. So the actual the actual end is probably more like the first you know first ten days of October, um, and then there's a then there's a playoff process, and then there's the Japan series. So end to end, it's probably like first week of November. Oh, okay. Now, with regard to the scheduling, is there actually sort of a, a a week of games that are not scheduled towards the end, so that so that games can be made up? Then it sounds like what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's some blank space left at the end of the year, um, you know. But those those games are not scheduled until later on. You know, if you look at the schedule on day one, it'll go up until about September 25th, give or take. Okay. Uh, and then, and then, just everybody knows that there's going to be more games after that. It just depends on how much it rains. Right, and the weather is different there, obviously. Or, I mean, what is the weather like? Um, is it? Um, I think. Well, I Japan. Uh, sorry, yeah, just, <laughs> well, Japan is totally north to south. So, um, you know, the the the, uh, the northernmost team is in Sapporo in Hokkaido, uh, and it's it's on the same parallel as. Um, Maybe Toronto, so it can get pretty cold there, uh, and that that has a dome stadium, of course. I remember um, seeing a game in, in Sendai, watching game on TV in Sendai, and uh, there were snow flurries in March. So, but on the opposite end, um, you know, Japan goes all the way down to Okinawa, which has kind of a tropical Hawaii-type environment. So, um, so even though it's a small country, you have it's it's totally north and south. You have a big a big range of um, of temperatures. Okay. So, um, so you know, during the season, it's it's pretty much um, similar to, to uh, the summer on the West Coast, I would say, with the difference that it's way more humid there than, than it is on the West Coast here. Um, it also rains a lot. So, um, you know, a lot of humidity, a lot of rain. So, uh, um, you know, probably half the, the, uh, the teams play in dome stadiums uh, to avoid that. But there's a bunch of open air stadiums as well, and those get affected by the rain delays. Now, during the, uh, so the, the unique thing about this year's uh, WBC was um, there were very few, if any, uh, players on the Japanese side uh, that had major league experience. Um, uh, I don't think there were any. There, yeah, there might have been any. I think that's an exception relative to previous years. Um, so the players may not have been as um, familiar to Americans. Of course, the Japanese did quite well anyway. 
Um, now, there were three pitchers who pitched quite well, um, and uh, I, I apologize immediately for uh, for saying their names wrong, but uh, Kenta Maeda was, was one mm-hmm. of them. Another one was uh, Masahiro Tanaki, Tanaka, and then a, a, a third was uh, Tada... Uh, Tadashi Setsu. Now, are these are these uh, the very best players in the league currently? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Tanaka is clearly the best uh, major league prospect that's currently active in Japan. Um, I mean, he's he's the currently he's currently the best one that's that's ready to to make the move to the majors. Um, you know, in the near future, there may be other younger players that are have higher upside, but he's he's the obvious one. Uh, Maida is a real workhorse. Um, you know, he's one of the few pitchers in Japan that is good for 200 innings year in, year out. He's, uh, he tends to keep a real low ERA. Setsu, um, Setsu is a little bit of an older guy. He's, um, well, older. He's 30. But, um, he's, he's older than, than, um, uh, Tanaka or Maida. Uh, and he, he only, he's only been in the rotation for, uh, SoftBank for about two years. He was a relief pitcher before that. So, um, and I, I don't really consider him much of a major league prospect. He might be able to handle it, but um, I don't think we'll ever see him here. But Maida and uh, Tanaka for sure. So yeah, you mentioned Tanaka. What is uh, what? I mean, I guess what are the sort of conditions that make his um, that make him likely to come to the United States and/or have success in the United States? Well, he's already asked his team to post him. So <laughs> that's I mean, a good sign. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's a sign that he wants to. Um, he, he signed a contract, a, a three-year contract last offseason paying him about $4 million a year. Um, that gives him the right to request to be posted each year. I think ultimately it comes down to the team whether, you know, they, they agree to it or not. So I think that, that right to ask is kind of lip service, but I think the fact that it's been publicly acknowledged that it's a possibility and that it's clear that he wants to do it I think makes it somewhat more likely and Darvish, for example, was always pretty cagey what his plans were. So, um, so I think I think just this sort of the, um, you know the, the fact that it's out there is, is one thing. Uh, what makes him successful or likely to be successful? Well, he's he's got a fastball. He, his fastball reaches 96 or 97 on his best days and sits in the low 90s. So he's probably good enough to get. He's probably he's got a good enough fastball to survive in the major leagues. He's a he's a bigger guy. He's uh, he's probably six two, six three, you know, kind of. Um, I don't know how much he weighs, but he's not he's not a real stringy guy. So you just look at him and you figure he's um, he's he's built well enough to um, to withstand the, the more demanding major league environment. Um, he's got good control. He really pounds the strike zone with everything he throws. You know, slider, forkball, curveball. Um, he's another one of these Japanese pitchers that throws everything basically. Um, which I think was a real weakness for Matsuzaka, but has been a real strength for Darvish. So it, it remains to be seen um, how how Tanaka would acquit himself with all that stuff. And his um, his his strikeout to walk ratio is really good. Um, you know, I think I think it was like um, ten nine or ten to one last year. I, I I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but. Um, you know, something like 18 walks against 180 or 190 strikeouts. So, um, you know, he really pounds the strike zone. His, his, uh, his, his, uh, K to BB rate is, is almost on par with what Uehara was doing when he was in Japan. So, you know, he's basically proven that he can dominate at that level. 
um, and he'll get a lot of interest from the major league teams if he chooses to um, to uh, make the leap to the majors and his team allows it. So um, so he's a real interesting prospect. And for, and for whom does Tanaka play? Uh, he plays for the Rockerton Golden Eagles. Oh, Rockerton. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Jones. A, Is that right? Yeah, Andrew Jones and Iwakuma was there. Um, Casey McGee, Kazuo Matsui. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, like, I know uh, towards the beginning, of, let's see, it must have been March or, or uh, February, something like that, um, I was uh, taking a look at some of uh, the Oliver equivalencies, uh, the major league equivalencies for the Oliver projection system that's done by Brian Cartwright. And, um, uh, for example, uh, I believe I'm saying the name incorrectly. <laughs> I'll just say it. Uh, Shinosuke Abe. Um, oh, Shinsuke Abe. Shinsuke. Shinsuke. Uh, Shinsuke. Okay. Oh, Shinsuke. Shinosuke, Shinosuke. Right. Shinosuke Abe, uh, uh, catcher. Um, mm-hmm. He was very well acquitted by uh, by the projections. I mean, basically, his numbers in the United States like would be roughly what he's producing in the MPB. Um, now, is there any is there any possibility that he uh, would ever come over? He's older, or if not him, then who would be like maybe the most interesting offensive prospect? Well, I don't think Abe will ever come and play in the major leagues. Um, he plays for Yomiuri. Um, Yomiuri doesn't recognize the posting system. They refuse to submit their players to it. Um, I think he's pretty loyal to Yomiuri. A lot, a lot of players are. You know, they had their lifelong dream of, of playing for the Giants, and they, they want to play their whole career there. Abe is also the highest-paid player in Japan at about $5.7 million. So, um, you know, he would have to... I, I assume he would he would want to not take a big pay cut. So, I mean, here's a guy who's at the top of his game. He's playing for the best team of, in Japan. He wins championships. Um, you know, he's he's the highest paid player. Um, you know, it's a pretty good deal for him. So, I, I don't really see him as as a guy who will see come to the majors. Uh, I think that um, you know, Joe Jima had not such a great rep, uh, reputation as a catcher uh, when he was with the Mariners. So, I don't know if that would play a role as well. But, um, you know, so I don't think the stars will align for Abe. Um, the best offensive prospect, well, there's um, there's a third baseman for Cebu named Nakamura who has been injured most of the last two years. But um, he was routinely good for 45, 46 home runs um, the, the previous couple of years when he was healthy. Um, his 2011 home run numbers are notable because they, he played with the um, the, the MPB introduced a ball um, that greatly suppressed offense, and particularly home runs, and he managed to still hit 45 home runs or whatever it was. Uh, and the next best guy, I think, had 30, and the next best guy had low 20s after that. So he was just so far ahead of everybody else on power numbers. He was kind of a short, fat guy. <laughs> so, um, you know, so is Prince Fielder. Um, so, you know, it would be interesting to see if he could do it. And he's had knee problems and other injury problems lately. So, um, it would be interesting to see if, if he could, if he could manage to produce, um, in the major leagues. But he would be an interesting candidate, uh, for me. Most of the other guys that come to mind are pitchers, though. Um, you know, uh, Norichika Aoki was a real obvious one a couple years ago, and he's, he's obviously come over. Um, so is Nakajima. Um, actually, let me uh, let me go to Yahoo Sports real quick and see who's on top there. Oh, yeah, Most yeah. of the best. Yeah, I got my laptop in front of me. Yeah, uh, Most yeah, of the best. 
when you were you were mentioning you you said the the uh, the the, the uh, stout um, uh, the stout power hitter. This is uh, uh, this is Nakamura. You said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's his, what's his uh, his first name? Takaya. Takaya Nakamura. T, T, yeah, T A K E Y A. Okay, Takaya Nakamura, and he plays and he plays for Cebu. Mm-hmm. The Cebu. Yeah, he's been hurt the last couple of years, so I don't know if Brian's um, I don't know if Brian's projections are going to have much on him. I guess the other guy that that comes to mind is a Korean guy, um, Daiho Lee. Daihu uh, Lee. Okay. Yeah, Lee. Lee plays for Oryx, and um, he's hitting 325 with 10 home runs, 390 on base, 524 slugging. He's he's a he's a big guy, big fat guy. He's about <laughs> six four, 270. So uh, he's he's a big guy, and he's uh, 31 years old. So he had a long career in Korea, and then came to Japan as a as a free agent last year and did well. So the rumor now is not, and he's having another real good year. So um, the rumor now is that he might want to move on to Yomiuri and get a big paycheck next year and move on to the majors and give that up. So we'll see. Oh, yeah, and I forgot, Yoshio Itoi. Um, oh, yeah, Itoi, right. And I think he was around perhaps during the WBC as well. Is that right? Yeah, he played center field for the, um, the Japan team. So, yeah, Itoi... Itoi is another guy who does everything well except hit for power. Um, you would you would think that he he has more power because he's like a real little guy like Alki is. He's a he's a bigger guy. He's you know six two and um, you know two hundred pounds or so. Um, but and he he does everything well except uh, hit hit home runs basically. Um, and he gets on base. He's got a good eye. Hits for average. He can. He runs. He's got good range in center field. He he started his career as a pitcher, so he's got a real good arm. Um, so he's another guy. He also played with Darvish for all of his career prior to this year. Got traded to Oryx. Um, so his 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 situation is kind of funny. He um, he asked Cunningham to post him, and then the next day they traded him to Oryx for a couple of scrubs. So. Um, so it, it remains to be seen whether Oryx will post him after the end of the year or not. But I think I think they might, um, and uh, it'll definitely attract some interest. Now, just a la- last thing, and of course, like I said, you're a real person. You have to, things to do. But um, I noticed that there's a pretty good uh, YouTube presence um, for the for the MPB. It, it's uh, uh, looking for footage of a player like uh, Tanaka, for example, um, is, is actually not that difficult to at least get some pretty decent quality uh, footage, pretty high quality. In terms mm-hmm. of watching a game be uh, as, as a broadcast, though, a live game, are there any, uh, are there any means to do that uh, that are mostly legal and uh, not that expensive? Well, so... Um there's a there's a cable network called One World Sports that's on the Dish Network, and I think they're on some local cable systems as well. Um, and they're they're broadcasting uh, about half of Yomiuri's games this year. So um, you know if you don't have Dish Network, you can look into that. Otherwise, you can call your cable company and ask them to start carrying um, One World Sports. So um, so that's an interesting one. I think they um, they broadcast uh, at normal. Um, viewer times. It's an American um, cable company, American cable station. So, um, so that's one. I think they have English broad, English um, play-by-play and stuff. So, um, so that one has investment go into it, and that one is probably the most accessible 
if you can actually get it, if you have Dish Network or if you can get it on your cable system. Um, the Pacific League, uh, which is Japan's two leagues, uh, has a has a, a site called uh, Pa League TV, hmm. um, which unfortunately it's only in Japanese and, and they no longer broadcast it outside of Japan. They used used to be that you could pay the, the subscription fee and get all the games wherever you are in the world, but they changed that. Now it's only available in Japan, so that's kind of a bummer. Um, and then you know the the, the last resort is uh, to just look for streams on sites like um, Justin.tv and UStream and Cast and and uh, sites like those, and those are, um, well, those are those are not really. Uh, <laughs> how can I say? Uh, you know, within the bounds of uh, managed copyright, I guess. Um, <laughs> That's very. So they, 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 very they, uh, they, of you. Yeah. Well, most of most of um, these these streams that manage to stay up are not casts of. Um, Japanese broadcasts, they're not, they're not streams of Japanese broadcasts. Um, MPB games are broadcast in Taiwan and Korea as well, and a lot of the viewers in, in those countries uh, will, um, you know, be so kind as to share their uh, their feed with, uh, with uh, the streaming world. So those are available. Uh, um, you know, those, those will tend to go away, you know. They, uh, sometimes the lights holder catches on and shuts them down and files, um, you know, the appropriate DCBM, what is it, DMCA litigation and cease and desist and right. justin.tv has to comply. So those, those can tend to, uh, to get shut down. Um, but you know, if you're, uh, if you're savvy about that kind of stuff, if you go on Justin TV at the right time of day, uh, they're not too hard to find. Okay. Hey, well, thank you. Uh, so Patrick, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to, to stick around for a second. Uh, but for the purposes of this episode of Fangraphs Audio, uh, I believe you've uh, fulfilled your obligation unless you feel as though there's anything pressing uh, that needs to be mentioned. Nothing urgent. Uh, okay. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, this was great. Uh, this is great. You're very competent uh, in many different ways. Um, alien. It will be alien to most of our listeners, your conduct on, the, on this program. Uh, thank My you. conduct? Yeah, your conduct, the fact that you, you're both knowledgeable and able to speak about it in an interesting way. That's not something that happens that often. Yeah, well, so, so doing radio was like the most unexpected and, and probably the most fun part of my uh, my blogging career. So, I mean, I never, when I started writing on MTV Tracker, you know, years ago, I, I never, you know, I, I, the, the thought was so foreign to my head to like, radio stations would call me up and want to talk to me. And, and um, so, yeah, it's definitely, I, I wish I could do more of it. I think probably the, my, my favorite point in my career was... Um, uh, one of the sports stations in the Bay Area had me on when they on Nakajima and um, and my son got to hear me on the radio. So oh, that yes, was, that was a great thrill, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, I'll never yeah. have a moment like I mean, even if I did have a son, no moment to be proud of me like that. So let's say goodbye right now and then uh, f- officially, and then we'll, we'll uh, talk about, uh, we'll, uh, we'll exchange pleasantries after that. So that has been Patrick Newman. Uh, most easily acce- uh, accessed uh, your work by, at mpbtracker.com, is that right? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty idle at this point in time, but hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, some time will present itself, and I'll be able to write a little bit again. Okay, all right. So that is Patrick Newman, MPBTracker.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.